Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast and the Surviving Hard Times Podcast. I'm talking with Todd Calloway, associate professor at uh, University of Georgia, part of the animal and dairy science uh, area. We're going to talk about microbiome and uh, animal and dairy science related issues. So thanks for coming, Todd. Sure, it's my pleasure. If you would, tell me about your background and how you got into the area you're in right now. Okay, well, like I tell a lot of my students, it's you know everybody's journey is always interesting, but to wind up in ag, you've really kind of got to have a love for the area. So I grew up on a horse and small cattle farm. We had some ruins of my grandfather's dairy farm, and we bred horses and cattle and all that while I was growing up. And basically, I wound up holding the mares while we were breeding horses. And by the time I was 15, I had all the bones in both hands broken at one point or other. So it was... It was, you know, kind of an interesting way to grow up, but you learn a lot about doing different things and some of how things interconnect. But like 90% of the kids that grow up on the farm, I wanted to go be a veterinarian after I graduated college. So I started working for a vet clinic and starting, I think, about 14 or so. And during that whole time I learned what it was like to be a vet you know a lot of the things that go into being a vet and I was fortunate to get to work in a large animal small animal clinic so I got to see a lot of what's going on on the farm and so I intended to go be a vet and I came to undergrad at Georgia you know it was a great place to come to school it was near where I grew up but far enough away where you know, wouldn't have the pop-in visits from family members and such but during my time as a undergrad, I started looking around and seeing how the gut of the animal, especially in cattle, how that plays such a role in nutrition of the animal. Because the part that really just blew my mind was when you feed a cow, you're not just feeding the cow, you're feeding the microbes. And those microbes are then actually feeding the cow. So it's this true form of symbiosis that you really don't see anywhere else to this degree in nature very often, at least. And that fascinated me that you know we can have our economic impact, sustainability, health, all these impacts. Everything we want to do is mediated in cattle by this microbial population. Then you started looking in pigs and humans, and you've got this hindgut fermentation that's the same sort of microbial post interactions and it was really cool area to me you know it wasn't this hot sexy area for research at the time it was just kind of fundamental research and i kind of always joke with people that the basic scientists say i'm too applied the applied scientists say i'm too basic in what we do and you know we just kind of fit in that weird niche in the environment so what is it are you studying the uh the microbial digestion of various farm animals, or what's your focus now? Uh, my focus now is twofold. I 
focus on trying to understand how cattle and other food animals, but cattle are kind of my main home, how they degrade feedstuffs and how can we take that fermentation that happens and make it more efficient where the animal produces fewer end products that aren't beneficial to the animal and aren't wasted. And part of that is things like methane production or CO2 production. Those being able to reduce those in cattle is a win-win. And that's something that the industry has seen for years, that if you can reduce methane production or you can reduce CO2 production out of this fermentation process, then by doing that, you're improving profitability because you're not wasting food that you're giving to the animal, but you're also not impacting the environment through greenhouse gases. So it's one of those areas where sustainability and profitability align nearly perfectly. And the other facet of most of my research is looking at food safety. How can we harness this microbial population in the gut of food animals to keep pathogens out, keep them from reaching our food supply? So it's kind of two very different areas. But yet, when you look at the Venn diagram of what they do, there's a lot of overlap. It's weird because the... um... The soil itself from which we feed has its own microbiome and that needs to be cared for. So it's like the first stomach of everyone, it feels like. Yeah, it is. And then the plants have their own microbiome. The irrigation water or even rainwater in some cases has microbiome in it. And you, everything is a mixture of these microbes from soil, environment, dust, uh, migratory birds. Everything comes together. So it's you know really a challenge to try to understand what is going on in these systems because they're all effectively different ecosystems. Because when we're looking at the microbial populations, you're looking at an ecosystem within an animal ecosystem within the human ecosystem feeding on this plant ecosystem. Yeah, it keeps going and going. And then even, yeah. um, you know, compost is made from manure of various animals. So it's circular and it's, it's amazing like that. Yeah, it definitely is. So what are some of the questions you're trying to answer right now with your research? Some of the questions that we're trying to answer, I guess the simplest one is, what is a good microbiome? And, you know, you see commercials, um, like I saw one the other night from Dove on TV, where it says, we will protect your microbiome or give you a better microbiome. And I looked at that and I'm like, I was one of the first handful of people to do this kind of research. And I can't tell you even now, what a good microbiome is. I can tell you what some really bad ones look like in some cases, but even that's hard to say good, bad. So what we want to do is figure out how we can link a microbial population with end products that we want to track. And people have been doing that. I mean, we've been trying to do that for 20 years. But then to take those intermediate metabolites and link them with animal performance or end products that we release, whether you're talking about methane production out of the animal, carcass quality, if we're looking at beef cattle, milk production, if you're looking at dairy cattle, carcass quality and amounts in pigs. So those kind of issues are really important to understand how do we improve our sustainability by improving the precision with which we feed our animals. Because especially when you look at a ruminant, because they evolved to digest cellulosic feedstuffs, 
when you look at them compared to say a chicken where you're one and a half pounds of feed for a pound of gain on a chicken with cattle you're feeding six seven eight pounds of feed to get a pound of gain because the energy density of forage is less and it's just it's a different feed stuff so that's a really terrible metric in some ways but the fact is the ruminants traded adaptability for efficiency and that allows them to utilize these other feedstuffs and that's really exciting to be able to take these feedstuffs that other things can't utilize and let ruminants like goats and sheep they can exist in scrub and really terrible environments and they'll thrive and do just fine in conditions that would kill other animals and just so you're trying to find what the the cheapest feed but also the healthiest feed or you know like it sounds like there's a bunch of parameters that have to be juggled oh yeah there are a lot of parameters because ultimately if we're producing food for humans you know the Animal and farmers in general were charged hundreds of years ago with produce as much food as you can, as cheaply as you can. And we've done a great job at it. If anything, in agriculture, we're a victim of our own success. We've made calories so cheap and protein so cheap that people don't value it as much as they should. And just the miracle of the food supply in the U.S., when you look at it compared to other parts of the world, is just outrageously incredible. But you want to have affordable feedstuffs so that farmers can produce affordable cattle or affordable chicken for consumers to eat who need that protein source. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. High so what, what are some of the um, what are some of the parameters that you've modulated, and how has it affected you know the manure, the types of food, <clears throat> sorry, the quality of the uh, the meat, you know, for let's say chickens, cows, etc. Like, what are some of the parameters again? What are some of the experiments you've done that uh, proved interesting or had positive results? Well, a lot of the work that I've done and some others along with us have done have been trying to work on. Uh, improving carcass quality by understanding and manipulating that microbial population to do things like increasing the amount of marbling, that white uh, fat inside a steak that makes a steak so good. If we can increase that while we're feeding less feed or a even cheaper or feed stuff that doesn't, can't be used for other purposes, if we can make that happen we can improve the availability of protein for people and improve that quality of product as well and that's been exciting to play with some different probiotics that do that and we've looked at some phytochemicals or plant-based compounds that can do it but right now we're focusing a lot on understanding how the genetics of the host animal play a role in driving that microbial population at least to a certain extent so we have uh, 
one of my colleagues here set up several years ago a herd of cattle that he's bred for high feed efficiency and low feed efficiency and high marbling and low marbling. And they've genetically diverged over several generations. So we've got some, what you would call, for lack of a better word, you have some real puke cattle and you've got some really good cattle. And they're out of that same original gene pool. So we can look at those animals' genetics and look at their performance. And we now have the ability here at UGA to measure their feed intake on a minute-by-minute basis, their water intake, how much methane these cattle are producing, what their growth is, and look at all these in a very fine granularity of what effects different feedstuffs have on these animals of very different genetic potential. And then we can correlate the microbial populations that are different with these different outcomes of the animal's physiology. So what have you seen so far? What are some of the parameters that get modulated now? Um, Some of the best parameters that change, again, are feed efficiency, how much feed the animals need to gain the weight that we want them to, as well as carcass quality marbling. So you you can think of it as we can take, in theory, we can't necessarily look at it quite yet and get there, but what her goal is to be able to feed these animals and take them from standard to choice or choice to prime quality steaks because people like to eat you know higher quality steaks. And that's where we're going with is how do we produce better quality food for less input and for a reduced carbon footprint. Um how much do you think is there like a theoretical maximum that you could impact you know, the the inputs versus the outputs, like you said, for cows, it appears to be about six or seven to one pounds, or six or seven pounds of input for one pound of meat, chickens and other you know animals better. But how much do you think you could impact this ratio, for instance? I think under the right conditions, we could get it to probably four or five pounds, depending on what we're looking at. But again, remember, we're talking about feeding grass or hay, four or five pounds of grass or hay versus four or five pound or versus one pound of grain of corn. So the energy density of that diet, even though you're talking different pounds, is very different. And because you, we can't degrade and chickens can't degrade or pigs for that matter can't degrade the cellulose, then that feed stuff that we're giving to cattle is pretty much useless to other animals. And that's the beauty of it is they're not competing with anything else for a feed stuff. So if we can drop it basically any and improve our gain and quality of our feedstuff, then we've really done a lot of good in improving that availability of protein to human consumers. So I don't know that I'm even capable of making a wild guess as to a percentage improvement that we can get, but we can certainly, it looks like we can certainly make some changes. Hmm, okay. I don't know. Are there any novel ideas out there? you know, for how to do this, or have you seen yet the resultant changes in the microbiome and how that's well, influencing, you know, these these properties? Well, we are literally just, we're about two years into this project where we're looking at it. We've had a couple of students publish papers and we just are getting our system online where we can measure live animal methane. So this is ongoing processes for us where everybody is trying to get moving forward and look at these holistically for animal production, going all the way from that carcass quality all the way back to the farm into selecting which cattle we're producing. So right now we've seen there's certain bacteria that 
are highly correlated with marble. There are certain other bacteria associated with feed efficiency. So we're looking over several years of cattle to try to link these together. And we have a corporate partnership with a company now that they're trying to work on uh, developing diagnostic systems, as well as probiotics, where we can look in and see, are these cattle going to be more efficient, where it should be a in the farm at the side of a chute or when you're raising your cattle, where you can check and see, are these the most efficient they can be, or do we need to feed them another probiotic? And if so, what kind of probiotic can we give them? Do they need? So that's where we're trying to go. And we're still in the very early phase. We're trying to figure out how those link together and how closely linked this animal genetics, microbial population, and animal performance and sustainability truly are. Now, on the food safety side, I worked for several years with the USDA, the Agricultural Research Service, and one of our my colleagues, and we were on the same team, developed a great product to improve food safety, and that's the development of something called sodium chlorate. And chlorate is just, it's a chemical, it's made of salt, sodium chloride, and oxygen. And it is a valent state analog, so in other words, it Chemically, it looks a lot like nitrate. And a lot of gut bacteria, especially salmonellas and E. coli 0157H7, those enterohemorrhagic E. coli, did you hear about the hamburger bug? Those organisms are equipped with an en enzyme called nitrate reductase, that it takes nitrate to nitrite. Well, this enzyme doesn't recognize nitrate or chlorate being different. So instead of taking, if you provide chlorate, it's going to take chlorate to chlorite inside the bacterial cell, and chlorite is bleach. So that kills the bacterium from poisoning it from inside the cell, and then that chlorate will be broken down by the host animal. So we looked at that, feeding it to cattle, pigs, and chicks, and saw reductions in salmonella, campylobacter, and enterohemorrhagic E. coli. And it looks like it is a really great product, and it's been going through FDA approval process for a long time now. So hopefully it'll get through sometime in the next few years, but it's pretty exciting to have been part of something that it's the closest thing that I've ever seen to a silver bullet to improving food safety on the farm. Hmm. Okay. Well, very good. Um, where can people find out more about your work? I mean, it sounds really interesting, but it's still in the early stages, I would guess. So where can people find out more? Um, well, quite honestly, most of our work is still being published in the scientific journals. We're looking at trying, we're building a website currently here at UGA for our beef improvement sustainability improvement team that should be available, but it's our, it is available on the website of University of Georgia Department of Animal and Dairy Science. Okay. Any other place? So that's the best place to go. That's the best place to go. Okay. All right. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and, and I appreciate it. And like I said, it's a, it's amazing the cyclical nature of all this, and like I said, microbes everywhere and at every stage. It's a you know very interesting work you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? 
Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.